fantastic, yeah. And um, if you do have kids who are younger than that and, um, and they don't want to stay in our gathering, that's fine too. They can head downstairs into our cafe space and down there, parents and younger children, you can see and hear everything that's happening up here. So you can still be part of what's going on, um, but you can make an awful lot more noise. Um, I say that, but if you up here would like to make a bit of noise, that's all right too. Um, you know, appropriately, probably. I don't know. Just Don't just talk amongst yourselves. Um, as we do continue, um, just to share a couple of things with you. I've mentioned already um, that this is what we call within our church our Scattered Sunday. And I've mentioned that means that our transformed communities are out and about. You might be wondering what that means, what that language means. We are a church that gathers. That's what we're doing right now. But just to say on these Sundays, our primary gathering is in the evening. Uh, there'll be many more of us gathering tonight to celebrate what God's been doing out and about. Um, but uh, we do gather and we recognise that our gatherings, they are for celebration and for inspiration. Uh, we get our understanding of what it is to gather as a whole church, perhaps from Hebrews 10, um, amongst other places that we recognise we're to encourage one another in the faith. Anybody up for a little bit of encouragement? Yeah? Okay, it's a good thing to do. Um, feel free to encourage me as we go along as well. Um, you can shout a little hallelujah or an amen or something like that. Um, uh, you look at me like you're not going to do that, but you should feel free. Um, my little lad, he's discovering some of these words because he hears them around and about in the church, but he's kind of developed his own um, praise words. Um, his hallelujah appears to be a combination of hallelujah and aluminium. And, uh, and so he'll occasionally shout hallelujah, um, but we just think God gets it and he's fine. And we're not entirely sure whether, whether Judah thinks that avocado is a praise word as well, because he'll occasionally just give out a little avocado and... Um, and I'm sure God loves that too. We certainly do. Uh, we're not going to correct him. We'll just let him run with it. Um, but anyhow, I'm not sure how we got there. Uh, we encourage one another in the faith. What does Hebrews 10 say? It says, spur one another on toward love and good works. And so that's what we're going to do a little bit of in the scriptures now. But I've mentioned transform communities. That is when we recognize um, that we're actually gathered for a relatively small amount of time. But God invites us to live our lives on mission for him. Growing in his grace and helping others to do that. Christianity is really very simple. It's just about know God more and become more like him. And then help someone else to do that. It's really simple. Can we just like leave it at that? and uh, not overcomplicate things. Um, but we recognize that we need a bit of help in that and we want to do that together. And so we have transformed communities, which we describe as, as it were, extended families, missionary servants, disciples making disciples. And we have them in different neighborhoods amongst different networks within our church. So there are transformed communities um, in Bebbington, in Tranmere, Rock Ferry, local here to the church, as groups in Oxton and, and out towards Clawton and Bidston, um, in Wood church, um, there's transformed communities amongst our young adults, amongst some of the ladies of the church, and uh, there are many groups and some that are just beginning at the moment. If you're not yet part of a transformed community, uh, then can I urge you, uh, be part of one. Um, we gather, but we scatter. And if we're only doing half of that, then you're only experiencing half of what this church is. And uh, I wouldn't want that for anybody. Um, so that is just to explain that 
Um, of course, we're moving into summertime. I know the weather is not immediately making that apparent, um, but I looked at the diary and it, it claims that we're in July. Um, so, you know, we are in the summertime, so people will be out and about. Things might look a little different through church life through the summer. Many people are here, there, and everywhere. Um, but one thing I want to highlight to you, at the end of this month, July the, the 28th, we will gather in the morning here for, for our morning gathering. Um, but then rather than having our, our usual Sunday evening gathering, we're actually, um, we, we've got a field um, out in kind of Stoughton. Uh, we're going to borrow a field. We don't own a field, uh, but we're going to borrow a field. And there we're going to have what we're calling a summer social. And that means that we've organized for a hog roast to be there. Um, which is good. Um, for those of you who are vegetarian or vegan, we are thinking about those options as well. So we will organize something for those of you um, who do not want to eat hog. Um, but we're going to have a big hog roast. We're going to have some other food. We're going to have some great music. We're going to have lots of fun and games. And, uh, and then as part of that, as the, the evening draws in, we're also going to um, have some late night worship as well. Um, we're going to see if we can have a bonfire. But if there's a chance it might set the crops alight, then it might just be like an enclosed kind of bonfire or something. Um, we will be responsible, we promise. Uh, but we'll gather around that, roast some marshmallows and worship God, um, which I think would be fantastic. Is anybody up for that? Yeah, you don't have to say whether you're up for the marshmallows or the worship. I won't judge you. Uh, you can come for one and stay for the other, whichever way you want to do it. Um, and that's really all I want to say about that at the moment. But you want to get the, that date in your diary, I'm sure, uh, and invite some folks along for what will be a lot of fun uh, together. So, summertime. What is it? And the living is easy? Is that how it goes? Uh, some of you look a little frazzled. I don't mean that to like say anything about your appearance or anything, but you look a little worn out. Um, it sometimes gets that way, doesn't it? And maybe you're thinking summertime and the living is easy. Seems like, that. whoa, that is just far off. I was chatting with somebody this morning and they were talking a bit about their summertime plans and they intend to drive the entire width of the United States and back. And, uh, and that, does that sound like a holiday to anybody? Not, some, some of you, yes. Uh, not the others of you. Those who know the gentleman are looking at him right now and saying, again, you're totally crazy. Um, but we love them for their craziness. Um, you know, you kind of want to try and craft a little bit of space and time within the summer. The days get longer and it feels like surely there should be um, some kind of space and time within it. Um, we've been talking over recent weeks um, about movies actually within the church in our Sunday morning gatherings, kind of seeing how you kind of get some themes of the grace of God, even within those movies. Now they speak a little bit about what's going on within our world. Um, summer blockbusters, they're a thing, aren't they? And uh, don't worry, I'm not going to ruin the new Spider-Man film for you this morning. We're not going to talk about movies this morning. But we are going to talk a little bit about summertime and what summertime might look like. What it might look like for us with Gateway Church World to enjoy a gateway summer. Not just because it's ours, not because it's shared, but because we might enter in it and through it into something good in God. Do you remember your childhood summers? Do you remember them? The weather was better, wasn't it? 
Am I, am I just looking at it through rose-tinted or sun-tinted sun spectacles? I'm looking at some of you who've come from different parts of the world, and you were like, yes, my childhood, the weather was better. Um, I just want to point out that's because you're African, and, uh, and, and thereby you totally cheated. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's appropriate. This is the bitterness of a European speaking here. Um, not just African, South American as well, and you cheated too. Um, but yeah, and, uh, and, and Asian, some of you, and you cheated as well. And uh, I just want to put you're all cheats. Of, oh, no, 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 no. You're wonderful people, and God bless you for having proper and decent weather and being able to see the sun more than one day a year. Um, but it, it seemed like that way, didn't it, in your childhood? The days, they just were uh, sunshine, wall to wall in the summertime, and, um, and they were these long, long days, and you'd just go out in the morning and play, wouldn't you? And just wander off and play and then you would come back when you got hungry does anybody remember these days I'm looking at Tino I appreciate Tino gets hungry every couple hours um, uh, he still stays really skinny uh, he just grows taller doesn't he it's disgraceful I don't do that I grow outwards um, it's not good um, but th- those days how they were and you just try to kind of pack them now of course I don't look at them as, as a kid anymore I look at them as a parent and my kids at the moment um, they're still kind of in nursery settings but the day will soon come when Judah will be in school and it's terrifying I'm gonna have to occupy him for six or seven weeks in the summertime I can't occupy him for six or seven minutes at the moment it's terrifying some of you parents you're smiling at me it's not with solidarity is it you're just saying your time will come and uh, you're just kind of wishing this upon me Um, but anyhow when you were kids you spent those long days and we as kids um you know, obviously growing up in the church, my parents, they would kind of rope in or probably recruit is a bit more of a polite way to say it, various young people from the church and they would come um, with all of their creativity and imagination uh, to try and occupy we children, we three, um, who I'm sure were as boisterous as any. Uh, I'm looking around the church and seeing some of the young people within the church and thinking, yeah, I'm going to recruit you uh, when the time comes. But uh, some of these young members of the church, they would come and and they would come with all sorts of things. They would come with scissors and glue and paint and craft paper and all these kinds of things. And uh, by the end of the day, we would have fashioned all manner of wonder in the house. We would also probably have stuck various things to the carpet and to other surfaces around the house. The house would be trashed, but we would have had so much fun. And, uh, and then we'd go out on adventures, of course. And, uh, and one of the things that lives long in the memory, late on in the summer, we would wander down Lever Causeway. Does anybody know Lever Causeway? And we wander down, and all the bushes would be ripe with blackberries, wouldn't they? And uh, does anybody know this? Uh, if you didn't know this, you want to head there late in the summer, go and get there. And we'd be sent out with a bit of Tupperware. Because the idea was you'd go down and you'd harvest all of these berries and then you'd bring them home. And uh, pies or crumbles or something like that would be made. Of course, the best laid plans of parents never work out with the kids, do they? And so you'd come back with a face stained with, with all of the fruits and about two slightly ropey berries still in your Tupperware. But you'd have had fun and the days would have been great. Time well spent. Growing up, exploring the world, but how about now? Well, it probably comes as no surprise to you. I don't spend my summer days in the same way now as I spent them then, apart from maybe the thing about fruit. Uh, Maybe that still carries on, I don't know. But uh, summer is a gift. Actually, it's a gift from God. 
Psalm 74 verse 17 actually kind of makes this plain. that It's, it's a thing of his creation. It says, you have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer. I hate to mention it, but the verse actually says he made winter too. I don't, maybe some of you prefer the winter. I know some of you like the cold, but maybe that's your kind of thing. But God has set these things in and they, these kinds of rhythms and these seasons. And again, I know some of you come from parts of the world where the, the rhythms and the seasons are more to do with rains and they're not so much of rains. Um, but the, the, the rhythms and the seasons of life, they come and they go, not by accident, but by design. God made summer. And I want us just to, for a moment or two, to consider here we are, where we are, amongst the people that we are, what might this summer, and even some of the plans that we may have made or be about to make, have for us? Our key verses for the day are actually then to be found in Colossians chapter 3, and verses 1 and 2, and these are the ones that you may want to note down particularly And those verses there, they say, if then you have been raised with Christ. We just pause for a moment. What on earth does that mean? If then you have been raised with Christ. Well, recognize for a moment that Jesus Christ was raised. That's a strange thing to say. You might not think so because maybe you're used to the idea. But how can you raise one who is God? who by his very nature is above all things and before all things, who is preeminent. He is the one who by him and through him and for him, all things were made. You can't possibly raise one who is superior to everything and anything for all time and is actually superior to time itself. How on earth should this one be raised? Jesus Christ was raised. The truth of the matter is he could be raised because he first humbled himself and submitted himself and gave himself and you know again in this book of Colossians we have it made so plain to us and again then Paul makes it incredibly plain in Philippians that Jesus humbled himself he he took on this nature just like yours or mine vulnerable (coughs) woundable put to deathable and Jesus came in this humble frail form and humbled himself even to the point of death and that upon a cross of all deaths I was reading Isaiah 53 this morning and it says that Jesus, having been put to such a death, he was numbered with the transgressors. He was put in the grave of the wicked. You can't get any lower than that, can you? And he did so for you and for me, giving his life for us, paying the penalty that we could never fully pay except by the devastating separation from God for all eternity. This is the prospect that we had and yet Jesus came to us in that place, came right down to the depths of our depravity and rescued and redeemed all that would place their trust in him. Because Jesus did this, he could then be raised. Because here's the wonder The sin that he took upon himself wasn't his, but ours. Could have no hold upon him, though he paid the price for it. The death that he endured could not hold the one who is the very author and source and essence of life. And so Jesus Christ, having given his life for us, then rose from the grave. Hey, that's a good place to say hallelujah. Or maybe avocado. You can choose what you prefer. I don't know. He rose. He was raised. 
And the Bible actually teaches us more than that. But it teaches us that Jesus then, he becomes not just one who was raised from the dead. No, there were foretastes of it before him, but there's much to come after. He becomes the firstborn from the dead. He is the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters, the Bible teaches us. And you know, here we are 2,000 years later. Millions, millions upon millions of people have also been raised to life with Jesus. I want to remind you of these things. It might be possible that I'm teaching you of these things for the first time. But this is not an accidental thing. This is design. We follow in the wake of Christ Jesus. And this is such an encouragement to us that my hope and my prayer is that we might follow closely on his heels. That we might allow the Holy Spirit to spur us on and enable us to catch up with him. Trim the sails of your life this summertime. That when the wind of the Spirit catches them, you might be hard after Jesus. (coughs) If you have been raised with Christ, then, okay, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. The verses go on to make plain that actually our our status is actually to be hidden with Christ in God. That is actually a current reality, even though we are still here on this earth. And so there's, there's kind of the, the, the roots and the fruits of what Jesus has done in our lives. But here we are in this in-between kind of space. Set our minds on things above. John Piper adds uh, to these verses in his book, A Godward Life. He says, don't like, let summer make your soul shrivel. God made summer as a foretaste of heaven. I just want to reassure you at the moment I think it will still be more sunny than this in heaven I just want to point that out if you're thinking that this foretaste is not really up to snuff um, anyhow God made summer as a foretaste of heaven not a substitute if the mailman brings you a love letter from your fiance don't fall in love with the mailman yeah that's a good image isn't it that's what summer is God's messenger with a sun-soaked, tree-green, flower-blooming, lake-glistening letter of love to show us what he is planning for us in the age to come. Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man, God has prepared for those who love him. You might recognize the words of 1 Corinthians 2 there. John Piper continues. Don't fall in love with the video preview and find yourself unable to love the coming reality. Are our hearts, are our minds, are our lives turned heavenward? It's probably worthwhile at this moment to remind you, through these evenings, we've recently been considering the, the return of Jesus Christ to our world because, you know, he's not done with us yet. That's a really good place for an amen. Amen. (laughs) Because if you're anything like me, you'd be really glad about that. God is not done with us yet. He's coming again. He has eternal purposes for you, for me, for all of his creation. And we're considering these things. And and so it's good for us in this meantime to turn our hearts heavenward, to consider the fact that Jesus will make all things new. And he has a new and wondrous eternal destiny for all those who are in him. 
And in recognizing these things, this coming reality, we recognize that God has given us these glimpses, these foretastes, these moments, these offerings, even of heaven here on earth. You know, I don't think Jesus would ask us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth here in, as it is in heaven, if that wasn't a possibility. Do you think Jesus would mess with you like that? No. He invites us to pray things that can and will and do come to be reality. So when we consider summer, we must realize then that God has intended summer holidays, just as they foreshadow heaven, to be a thing of rest for us. Did you hear that, Simeon? Every couple hours, you're going to take a rest in your driving. Okay, good, good. He's the driver, by the way, if you didn't know. Um, uh, Summer must be a thing of rest. Now, I appreciate, you know, uh, summer, your holiday might not be in summer. You know, maybe, maybe you don't have kids who are of a school age and so you avoid the summer holidays like the plague. Um, our kids are still before school, so, you know, we can afford to miss the, uh, the price hikes that come. Uh, those days will come. I'm sorry, you have my uh, heartfelt whatever. Um, but uh, just as the summer foreshadows heaven, so we must recognize that, that in the very sense of holiday, perhaps, we need to craft rest within our lives. You know, work is good. Did you know that? That commissions to work, to flourish, to prosper, to create are actually commissions of the garden. They're commissions of God's first intent for humanity. And so we must recognize they're going to be a part of our eternal destiny as well. Nothing wrong with being creative. There's nothing wrong with being productive. But rest is a part of how God has made us to be also. Rest from work is good. And those of us who can never see that doubtless need something of a reset. Jesus wants to reset us. Matthew 11 and verse 28, Jesus invites us to himself. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He doesn't promise that you'll never work ever again. (laughs) But he does promise that there are certain kinds of laboring striving that actually won't attain or achieve anything you know fundamentally it's a gospel message if you try to work or strive to attain right standing with God then you'll falter and fail ultimately and you'll find yourself all the more burdened along the way the truth of the matter is there's nothing you can do to make God love you more and there's nothing you can do or will do for that matter that will make God love you less Rather than knowing the love of God, we must be compelled into lives that honor him, that bring him glory. There's a wonderful kind of image of this in the book A Pilgrim's Progress. Have you ever read that? The John Bunyan book and the kind of really early days on, 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 the, on the journey. Um, there's this character, Christian, and he becomes aware of the weight on his shoulders. He becomes aware of what he's carrying. And then there comes this moment on the journey when he's to go through this gate and come into the, the way that we recognize of discipleship and the, the burdens must be laid down. It's this sense that you can't carry. You can't carry your sin. That's an absolute fundamental. You certainly can't carry it into the presence of God. And the truth of the matter is we can't even carry our life. I had the privilege to talk with a gentleman who's facing his own uh, mortality this week. And strangely enough, we were making some plans for what his funeral might look like. But a particular gentleman is kind of 
trying to come to an understanding of what it is to know God. His daughter kind of prompted me and she said, tell him, tell him what it is to surrender your life to Jesus, what that means. And so we did and we talked about it, but it is a strange thing to talk about. There's not a one of us, if we're honest, for whom that comes naturally. Does anybody want to surrender? Hardly. Everything that we see or understand in this culture is about fight. Keep going. Be strong. And yet the Bible says, give up. Give up. Surrender. Lay it down. This is where the Bible comes as an offense because it tells us that we are a failure. And if we carry on, we'll fail even worse. All that we can do is fail forward into the arms of a, a gracious God who'll receive a surrendered life and turn it around, make it new. Come to him. If you're laboring under these misapprehensions, sometimes Christians, we begin to labor again, don't we? And we say that we understand we need to come to God by grace alone, but then we kind of just slice off that word alone and we say, it's by grace, but then I just need to add on these few things. It's by grace, but I think really I have a better idea how to craft my life than Jesus does. No, not so. Not so. It's not grace plus your worry. It's not grace plus your best efforts. It's not grace plus, oh, if only I had this, or if only I had that, or if only this was changed within my life. God's grace is sufficient for you. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing, come to him. And you know what? If you are blessed to be having a holiday in the next few weeks or months, then remind yourself of these truths. It's a foretaste of what God is inviting you into eternally. And not only that, but you as a follower of Jesus can enjoy a holiday yet more than those who aren't yet. Your holidays are even better than those who don't believe. Did you know that? Because you've been moved into the todays and the tomorrows of your life by the grace of God. Our best efforts at crafting a life will inevitably pale before Jesus' perfect plan. Ask yourself, are your endeavours according to his will? Are they leading us and those around us to better know Jesus and his way? Are we more like Jesus through our work? Truth is, you might be. Work can actually craft Christ-like character within you. But it's not a goal just in its own sake. It might be that God's inviting you to rest a while and to consider again. We must also ask ourselves, do we have a good theology of rest? Do we not only take a holiday a couple of times a year perhaps, but also practice Sabbath rest on a regular basis? Will we leave this morning gathering and go stuff the rest of the day with jobs and tasks, with places to go and things to do? Or will we rest in God and with his people? There's a lady who writes this so well, Jen Wilkin. It's a long quote, but I thought it was worth sharing with you. She said, here is a remarkable thing about the Christian faith. We have a God who commands us to rest. Our God commands us to hold still, to cease from labor, to actively enter into repose, not merely as a means to regain our strength, but as an act of worship. The gods of other religions and the God of self, these demand ceaseless toil. To please these gods, worshippers work incessantly at the business of self-denial, approval-seeking, pilgrimage, 
repeated rites that strive to prove the worth of the supplicant and earn the favor of the deity. Those who seek the approval of lesser gods commit themselves to a course of utter exhaustion, but not the Christian. In our obedient observance of rest, the work of our Savior is understood most clearly. We rest not as an attempt to earn his approval, but as an ascent that his approval has already been earned in the sun going down, Sabbath initiating work of Christ on the cross. Christ worked that we may rest. He, in a gathering dusk, exhaling the first note of a blood-bought chorus of infinite rest. She concludes, the God who grants us soul repose commands our worship in the form of bodily rest. The worshiper is blessed in obedience, restored and ready. He resumes the effort of tilling his corner of the garden. More importantly, he's reminded that both the garden and also the one who tills are contingent and derived, depending every moment on the sustaining breath of the Creator. He is thereby mercifully relieved of his idolatrous, exhaustion-breeding belief that the work of his hands upholds the universe in part or in whole. There's so much in there, I know. It's hard to capture it as I just read it to you. But we must recognize, maybe not in, in whole, but certainly in part, we oftentimes think that it is the work of our hands that upholds that bit of the universe. Not so. We depend every moment on his sustaining breath. Every moment. And that rhythm, even that intake and exhaling, defines the rhythms of our lives. If you must use your Sabbath to accomplish all that you have set for yourself, working it out, then maybe you need to set yourself less. Maybe do less. Maybe achieve less. That's a hard thing. It's countercultural, isn't it? But maybe we need to. If you cannot rest, and you're probably stuffing your life with too much. Achieve less and be all right with that. The Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Spend more time perhaps with him. Spend more time with his people. Know your God more. You cannot impress him by accomplishing more things while at the same time engaging less with the things he has laid out for you to flourish in. It's worth perhaps noting here that we as a church, we practice both morning and evening worship on a Sunday. I do so for a couple of practical reasons. Uh, one being uh, that people who visit our church for the first time, it's helpful for them to have multiple times that they can come. Also, we recognize that for, for some people, they work in sectors, health or social care, for instance, whereby shift patterns that are unavoidable mean that they need um, different opportunities and options to gather. But we do so for a more fundamental reason than that. We do so because to start your day and end your day with worship and prayer is actually the practice of the saints for these 2,000 years. 
I'm not sure anybody's ever come up with a better idea. I don't know whether you have, if you have enlighten us. But the reason why we do so on a Sunday, I'd urge you, not because it's a work that you need to do to impress or earn anything, but because it's a practice that actually offers a resetting for your entire week. Uh, Why not try it? If you've never tried morning and evening worship before, why not try it? And see how this setting of the Sabbath enables a setting of every single day within your life. A rhythm that allows for rest, for recuperation, for reflection. For we note that a holiday, even a whole summer, needn't be a time, though it be a time that is of rest, needn't be a time that is frittered away on things that will soon be forgotten. What makes a good summer? It's good memories, isn't it? It's not just the sense of rest, but it's the sense of of rest that has somehow become full. Full of of maybe the the recharging of our batteries, whether bodily or mentally or emotionally, spiritually, but but full of, of things that we know are good. You know, what does the Bible tell us? It tells us to think upon such things, doesn't it? Whatever's right, whatever's excellent, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is noble, whatever is true. Some of you who are better students of the scripture will be like, why did he change the order of them? Well, it's because I use an acronym to remember them. Replant. And if it's helpful to you, you remember it as well. R-E-P-L-A-N-T. Whatever's right, whatever's excellent, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is noble, whatever is true. Helps me, it might help you. But to have these things to think upon, we have to have these things in our lives, don't we? And so as you think about your summer... And think about what may be happening within holiday time or time that you're taking off with the children or whatever it might be. I know we might feel obliged that we have to stuff it with this, that and the other. Rather than that, how about just adding in a few of these things? The investment of a great plan. When I think about holidays of my childhood, they they were pre-internet holidays Uh, There was no such thing. And so to plan a holiday, as far as I can understand it, you needed to have books and maps and leaflets and flyers and these sort of things. Nowadays, you just go online, don't you? And it's so much easier. And all of the wonders of the world are at your fingertips. But in those days, my mum, she would get the book of the caravan parks that we might go to. And she would leaf through. And based upon a little paragraph of tiny type, she would decide, is that going to be a good holiday or not? And uh, she must have been able to read between the lines because they always were. And, uh, And then we would go based upon an enormous book of maps. Wonderful things, aren't they? These big book of maps. Nobody does that now. It's just sat nav, isn't it? And then you end up down some dirt track in the middle of nowhere and you wonder what's going on. Uh, but you used to use a big book of maps, didn't you? And then you'd arrive at your destination and there'd be a wall of brochures and leaflets from places that you could go to. Nowadays, they just expect you to go on TripAdvisor and rely upon Angry Jack from Hereford or something who's decided to tell you whether or not something... Or, if you know someone called Jack from Hereford, it's not him. Um, but uh, you know, nowadays, this is how we kind of form a holiday. But in those days, you would have to do the research, wouldn't you? And, and kind of invest in it and kind of figure it out bit by bit by bit. And, and you know, uh, my parents, they did. And we had memorable times away. Maybe those are your memories, maybe not. But they can be. They can be. 
you do the work to invest and to, and to find out what it is you want to be drawing into your summer. Maybe invest in the time and the love of a friend's company. Maybe that person that you've not seen for a while or spoken to for a while. Maybe that person with whom there's come just a, the rift of maybe just distance or, or maybe there's something more significant in it. Maybe this summer is the time for you to seek that grace of God in that. That there might come reconciliation. That the grace that you know in Christ might become the grace that they can receive in Christ as well. Or just somebody that you do know and enjoy. How are you going to invest in them this summertime? Similarly think, how can we seek those things that are above where Christ is? And set our minds upon them. Set your minds upon them. It won't happen accidentally, but only by choice, by purpose, by design. Don't let September come. All of the busyness of the autumn season. Do you know what follows September? I hate to mention it, but it's Christmas. We know it is. And then it'll be here before you know it. And then it'll be a new year. And do you know what? It'll be another new year before you know it. And another new year before you know it. Don't let these times go by and by and by. Let these long days be an opportunity for us to set our minds. Set them. How might we do that? Well, the truth is, you know, this is not rocket surgery. From next Sunday, for instance, we as a church will be completing our five-year, yes, really, five-year journey through the book of Isaiah. For those of you who've recently joined the church, you're probably grateful that you only recently joined. Uh, We've only been doing it in the summers, I promise. We've not been doing it the rest of the time, but... We're going to come to a close in the book of Isaiah this summer through our morning gatherings, chapters 50 to 66 at the end of the book. You know, if you've got the time and the space, what am I saying if? Craft the time and the space. Read those chapters. And if you're going away, then read them anyway, because they'll do you good. And if you're able to, why not podcast the sermons? Not because they're going to be the best sermons you've ever heard. I can guarantee that because I'm delivering most of them but because it will enable you to engage with the journey of your brothers and sisters in the faith as we set our minds on things above. That's how you do it. I mentioned also in the evenings that we're, we're kind of journeying through the, the coming again of Jesus. You know, if, if you're up for it, a bit of summer reading, I have one book that you're probably going to think doesn't sound anything like summer reading. I've been reading a commentary on the book of Revelation by a guy called Ian Paul. It's amazing. Does that sound like a beachside read? Probably not. Um, But if it doesn't, how about this book? Get it on your Kindle or whatever. It's by a guy called Simon Ponsonby. It's called And the Lamb Wins. It's brilliant. And it'll do your heart such good. Get some summer reading. Um, Tonight, I'm going to be giving away 10 books. There you go, there's a good reason to come. And then next Sunday morning, if you're not on holiday, we'll give away another 10. And, uh, and, and, and just enrich your life with the things that will set your mind on things above. Now, not only in what you read, but in what you meditate upon. Do you know, the Bible says it's better to have one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. It's a good principle. 
Do you know it would be better for you to meditate upon one passage of the word of God and allow the spirit of God to really enrich you, rest you in his presence and transform you into his likeness than it would be for you to read the entire scriptures front to back and back to front 13 times. Come on, Christian. Are you meditating on the word of God? Do you still yourself? At least for a moment every day. You know, I've got a one-year-old and a three-year-old. Stillness is not a part of my life. It just isn't. I come to work to sleep. No, not really, I don't. Um, <laughs> you just, it, some, it's hard sometimes, isn't it, to find the time to be still. But you've got to. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. It's a promise, but there might be a little bit of a warning in there as well. But if we aren't still, will we really know that he is God? Well, if that's the way he's laid for us, then maybe no. How else might we see him work through stillness? What does the Bible say? Exodus 14, 14. Just be still and let him fight for you. Anybody got a bit of a fight this summer? Maybe you need to craft some space to be still in him and see how he will win the victory. He's done it before. He can do it again. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Come on, Christian, have a bit of faith. Craft this time. Set your mind on things above. Drink in the wonder of God and of his word. And in the things of our normal Christian practice, do the ordinary things of what it is to be a believer in Christ Jesus. Over the summer, do you know, are you committed to the the ministries of the church? If you're away, are you going to pray for them? Are you going to leave them well catered for in your absence? Do you pray for your transformed community? If you're going to go away, do you pray for them in your absence and for the church more widely? Do you note the prayer requests that are received perhaps via the prayer line? Are you committed to giving financially to the church even through the summer? Are we just doing the ordinary things of the Christian life? You aren't going to get any awards for them most times, but you will be storing up treasure in heaven. And here's the wonder, you'll be doing immeasurable good to those around you in the meantime. Even in your absence, should you be on holiday, you can be an encourager of the saints. You can be. All too often, it's out of sight, out of mind, isn't it, in the natural. And yet, in the spiritual, even though we might be separated for a moment through holidays or whatever it might be, we can be thoroughly connected with one another by God's grace. Because he's joined us together, living stones that he's formed this incredible place of his revered presence in. And that doesn't change, though some of us might be scattered as far as the east is from the west. And, you know, as an international church, that's exactly how it goes in the summertime. But nothing changes. We are still one with one another. And the Spirit of God is still indwelling us. So invest yourself as though you believe it, because it is true. What else does the space of summer allow? Perhaps what little act of kindness, what small project of grace. Maybe you'll find that there's a spare moment to, to say to folks in your transformed community, I've noticed that this garden here is, you know, as the summer's come and the little bit of sun, a lot of rain, uh, maybe it looks a little overgrown. Can you go and help? Can you attend to that? Can you be kind to a neighbor, kind to a friend, kind to a loved one? Can you say to one another, I've noticed this could be done or that could be done. I've not seen such and such a person for some time. Maybe we can bless them. 
Maybe we can have them round to ours and have a barbecue or whatever it might be. What can you do with this time? In all these things, in resting in God and seeking the things that are above, setting our minds actively upon them. Do you know what we're doing? We are longing for Jesus. We are longing for Jesus. Colossians 3 continues, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Does that quicken anybody's spirit? Because I know it quickens mine. I long for the coming of Jesus. I do. That's why I count it a privilege to preach as we've been preaching over the evenings of late, to preach that Jesus is coming. And you know the right response to that is, come Lord Jesus and come quickly. You know, there's no accident that the early Christians, they used to say to one another this saying, Maranatha, the Lord is coming. That was, that was something that they reminded and encouraged one another in regularly. Come on, as we practice summer appropriately in God, we are saying, I long for Jesus. He's my hope. He's my joy. And he is my satisfaction. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13 can be your encouragement in this. God says to you, to you, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, all of your heart. Don't resist him. Hear God and turn to him. What else? Might we make a change this summer perhaps? A change that will reap dividends through the rest of our days year by year what does the Bible call that change it calls it repentance Acts chapter 3 repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out there is that burden coming off again and here else Acts chapter 3 verse 19 onwards that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Can I tell you, just as, as truly as the scriptures have preached this to us right now, it is a turning to Jesus this summer that will refresh you more than any number of weekend breaks, more than any number of sightseeing, experiences experienced, places visited, foods tasted, I could go on. You know, those things, they might be a bit of your summer, a part of your summer, they might be great and good things, but the refreshment of your soul is more than them all. Please God, it might be shot through them all like a golden or a scarlet thread. Repent. Turn to Jesus and you will know his refreshing because he's good. A fairly unknown writer called Shakespeare noted that summer's lease hath all too short a day. I think it was May the 24th, wasn't it? <laughs> I think he's gone already. <laughs> it was quite nice then. <laughs> It's not long. It's not long. 
I don't know, maybe your holiday leave entitlement, maybe you've just got a long weekend away, or a week here, or a week there, I don't know what it might be. Maybe you've just got a couple of days off scattered here and about. It doesn't seem like much. It's short. But it can be full. It can be rich. It can be true. Repent. Come to your senses. Turn to him. Set your mind on things above. That's where you really are. And he will refresh you. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray together. And Grace, Tina, would you join us again? And we're going to be led in worship as we draw to a close. Tonight we have the opportunity to come together with those who have been scattered this morning and celebrate what God has been doing. That's going to be good. This afternoon, my hope and my prayer is you've got a bit of rest. Just a little bit. (laughs) Try and find it. You need it. Set your mind on things above. And, And right now we have this wonderful opportunity just for these few moments to do exactly that. You might find it helpful to close your eyes. And uh, we have this opportunity to, as it were, set the, mind, set the eyes of our, our mind or the eyes of our heart upon God. Wonderfully, we know that the eyes of God are actually searching throughout all of the earth, seeking to strengthen the hearts of those who are fully committed to him. And so in these moments, we can choose to repent. Repentance is not just about sin, although it may well be. And if you recognize that there is sin in your heart or your life, that you need to repent before the Lord, then know this. That if we confess our sins, the Bible says, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I can say those words quickly, but we must not deal with it lightly. For it costs Jesus everything to atone for our sin. So we must turn from these things and turn to him and return to those things of sin no more. But we recognize that repentance is other changes of mind, of heart, of lifestyle and of way. And each time that God comes to us, inviting us to repent and believe, he invites us to a wonderful surrender oh it's a release it's a freedom of rest to abide in him and he invites us to a deeper commitment to be more closely joined to him to be yoked together with him the wonder of it all is his his yoke is easy his burden is light says to us that we can learn from him the unforced rhythms of grace so I would invite you just for a moment in the leadership of the spirit of God just do an inventory of your life if that's too much then do an inventory of this past week or maybe of the summer months ahead say spirit of God what what is it that you are saying to me what would you have me do about it? What repentance do you call me to? 
What belief would you have rise within me? How would you have me set my mind on things that are